Well, I'm glad you're here with us today as we open God's Word. Man, we're already into summer, aren't we? I mean, we're feeling the heat, no rain. It's it's come quickly. I want to thank all of you that came out last Sunday evening to our prayer time. It was uh, really special for our community, so thank you for that. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we would go to church on Sunday. Now, back in that those days, there was something called the Blue Law. Now, that meant that Certain things, businesses could not open on Sunday. But one thing that was always be open after church was the Piccadilly cafeteria. And we would go to church and then we would go to the cafeteria, wait in line with everybody. But man, it was a kid's dream because you go through there and you pick out what you want. Man, jello, mac and cheese, fried chicken. I mean, you just picked what you wanted and what you didn't want, anything green. You just left it and you got what you wanted and, and you went out. And uh, Piccadilly Cafeteria, then along came Luby's and... Now we have Golden Corral and Sirloin Stockade, and, and you just graze on, on the things you want. And, you know, what I've discovered is that many people in their faith treat their faith a lot like a cafeteria. And what we do is we uh, we pick the things that make us feel good and what makes the most sense to us but we discard the rest. Case in point, we we love joy and peace and comfort and love. But when the scriptures talk about suffering, we don't like that very much. Or when the, the scriptures talk about growth and contentment and, and these kind of things, we like that. But we don't like it when the scriptures talk about discipline. We like when it talks about life and eternal life, but we don't like it when it talks about death. We we like it when the scriptures talk about heaven, but we really don't like the scriptures much that talk about hell or eternal destruction. But this is the point, and I want you to grab this. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we must accept everything, all that he taught. No, I mean, we can't just pick and choose a Luby style, oh, I wanted a little that and not handle what else he talked about. Here, let me give you some thoughts. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate and easy is the path that leads to destruction. And many are those that find it. But he said, narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Now, whoa. We, we hear that and we kind of back off a little bit. We don't want to hear that. And then a few verses later, he says this. Not all who call me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And then he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And we think, whoa, we don't want to accept that very much. But, you know, uh, Jesus talked more about eternal destruction or hell than any other where that we look in the scriptures. We, we see the teachings of Jesus in this area repeatedly. In fact, the agnostic British philosopher Bertrand Russell said this, there is one very serious defect to my mind in Christ's moral character, and it, that is that he believed in hell. You see, we don't want to bite off that. We want to bite off heaven. We want to bite it, but we don't want to think about uh, eternal destruction. In fact, 
many people try to explain it away in different ways. And, and there's some polar areas. There are certain people that believe that, oh, Jesus is going to let everybody in. So there's universalism. And then there's others that believe in what's called annihilationism, that, that when you die, that's it. You're just annihilated, no, no more. And so you hit, get these extremes. And here comes Jesus talking about this eternal uh, destruction or the hell that exists. I, I, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke, the doctor, he wrote a very accurate account of the life of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And so let me kind of jump into it. I'll stop some along the way, but let's see what the scriptures have to say. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, let me stop there just a moment. Now, here's what has just taken place. He's just called the Pharisees on the carpet. I mean, he is he is really just uh, given his thoughts on uh, those that have a religious exterior, but their internals are not the same way. And he said, beware of this leaven. Now, leaven would refer to yeast like you put in dough that would make it rise, right? And you may remember that every time leaven or yeast is mentioned in Scripture, especially back at the Passover, it would represent sin in their life or, or, or evil in their life. And he's saying a little bit of that yeast will create a problem for the whole loaf. And then he says, this is what the yeast of the Pharisees is, right? He said it's hypocrisy. Now, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is, is literally the externals and the internals do not match up. In other words, you live a certain way on the externals, you're a certain way... Uh, you're imitating maybe, but the internals are not that way. And he says, this is the yeast of the of Pharisees. So they're imitators or a modern word is they'd be posers. You know, there are posers out there, especially, uh, I know, I, I know in high school campuses, there are many posers, but you really want to see posers. You go to the gym and you see those people who are truly working out, sweating, grunting, they're doing everything. And then there's the poser over there just looking in the mirror all the time at his body. There's a difference there, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, the yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy, and you've got to be uh, wary of it. Let's go on. Verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But, verse 5, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now here's Jesus talking, and he says, Do not fear the one that can hurt your body, but fear the one, and God has all authority. Fear God, who has the authority to cast you into hell. Now the word hell here is a, is a word that Jesus used several times. It actually is an earthly picture of an eternal state that he's talking about. Now, that earthly picture was in the Valley of Hinnom 
right outside of the walls of Jerusalem. It was a garbage heap. It was a place uh, that they burned rubbish. It was a place that they would take all the putrefying things and just throw them out there. It eventually was the place that they would do crucifixions out there as well. In fact, there are even histories, the scriptures talk about in the Gospel of Mark, where the worm never dies. They talk about there's even worms out there that are uh, uh, terrible. So there is this putrid place that is burning, that's always burning, that is a place of death and torment. And Jesus uses that earthly picture, Gehenna, to talk about an eternal uh, spiritual state that exists. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you four thoughts on what the scriptures teach us about hell. And uh, you can write these down, um, but these are four things that I want you to get. And then I want to come back and let's talk about so what. What does it mean to us? So here's four thoughts on hell. Hell, number one, hell is a state of separation from God. It's a, it's a state of separation from God. Just like heaven is a real place, hell is a real place. And it's a place of separation from God. Now... This earth is the only hell that believers will ever experience. But this earth is also the only heaven that a non-believer will ever experience. And this hell is free from the kindness, the love, the grace, the mercy of God. There is this eternal separation between God And the man that he has created. So hell is a state of separation from God. Number two, hell is a state of association. And here's what I mean by that. Hell is a state of association. People, God created us to have fellowship with him. But we fell, sin entered the picture. We were separated from him. And hell was made for the devil and his angels. It tells us that in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was made for the devil and his angels. So you have man that was created for God, but yet he has fallen and the devil who hell was created for. And so what happens is, is by association, because we have chosen self and sin over God, that we are associated with the devil and his angels. And so hell is a state of association. Those who don't choose Christ will spend eternity with the one who ultimately chose separation. So hell is a state of association. Three is this. Hell is a state of punishment. We don't like to hear that. We see, we don't, we don't want to talk about that, but hell is a state of punishment. And we have such a low view of sin, uh, that we do not see hell as a big deal. And a correct view of sin gives us a correct view of eternity. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then fourthly is this. Hell is an everlasting state. I know some people think, well, hell is temporary, but When we read Matthew 25, Jesus talks about a parable of separating the sheep from the goats. He talks about that eternal life is forever, and he uses the same verbiage for hell. So it is an everlasting uh, thing, that uh, state that is there. So, here's the deal. Those are four facts you're going to chew over in your brain. You read the scriptures, you find those. But so what? What does that mean to you and me today as we look at this? So, number one is this. Why would Jesus go through what he went through 
if hell was not real? Why would Jesus have gone through the mockery and the rejection and the flogging and the cross if he did not do that to save mankind? Why would he have gone through that if eternal destruction for mankind was not real? Tim Keller uh, wrote this, and I, I want to read it to you. He said, unless we come to grips with the terrible doctrine of hell, we will never even begin to understand the depths of what Jesus did for us on the cross. His body was being destroyed in the worst possible way, but that was a flea bite compared to what was happening to his soul. When he cried out that his God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself. If, if an acquaintance denounces you and rejects you, that hurts. If a good friend does the same, that hurts worse. However, if your spouse walks out on you saying, I never want to see you again, that is far more devastating still. The longer, deeper, and more intimate the relationship, the more torturous is any separation. And then he goes on to say this. But the son's relationship with the father was beginningless and infinitely greater than the most intimate and passionate human relationship. When Jesus was cut off from God, he went into the deepest pit and most powerful furnace beyond all imagining, and he did it voluntarily for us. Why would Jesus have gone through that if hell was not real? Here's the second so what. God is holy. And sin is serious. We have such a, a, a shallow view of sin, even in our culture. We, we try to calm it down with the words we use. We use words like, uh, I, I just have an affair. Uh, I'm just sowing wild oats. I'm just fudging a little bit on my taxes. I'm just bending the truth just a little bit. I'm just comparing. I'm not judging. And we, we try to water it down, but sin is sin. It's choosing self over God. And, and this is huge. And, and we've, if we do not get a higher view of sin and how Jesus had to go to the cross and had putrefying in the presence of a holy God, we will not see uh, hell the way we need to. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Screwtape Letters. It's, it was written many years ago, but it's still worth a good read today. And it's about a demon uh, uh, who has a understudy demon by the name of Wor- Wormwood. Actually, his nephew, it says. And uh, what he does is, is uh, Screwtape talks to Wormwood and he tries to tell him about things he needs to do to keep people from Christ or keep them from growing in Christ. And part of the book, uh, Wormwood is being instructed on the subtleties and techniques of tempting people. And the goal, he counsels, is not wickedness, but indifference. Satan cautions his nephew to keep the prospect, the patient, comfortable at all costs. If he should become concerned about anything of importance, encourage him to think about his luncheon plans. Not to worry, it could induce indigestion. And then this definitive job description. I, the devil, will always see to it that there are bad people. Your job, my dear Wormwood, is to provide me with people who do not care. And see, that's where we've come in our culture so much. We just kind of brush sin aside because it seems everybody, you know, the scriptures, oh, that's old fashioned, right? Listen, God is holy and he's called us to be righteous. The third so what is this? All men are broken 
and under the penalty of sin. All men are broken. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. All mankind is separate from God. Our sin is separated. So listen, there's good sinners and there's bad sinners, but we are all sinners. We're all separated from God. And so this needs to, we need to understand this. So it's not our good deeds that will get God's attention. See, we, we've already done what we're going to do. So I want you to understand all mankind is broken and in, in need of a savior. The next so what is this? And here's the good news. Jesus is the answer to our depravity. Jesus is the answer. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said, he became sin who knew no sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus became sin on our behalf. That's why he went to the cross. So that you and I, as we embrace Christ can be righteous. We can be right with God. He is the answer to the the problem that we had. I, I would be terrible if if you had a cancer or a sickness and I had the, the the cure and I didn't tell you about it. See, that's the answer is in Jesus Christ. The last so what that I want to share with you is is this. We must feel compelled to tell others. Listen, if hell is real, which I believe it is, and it's eternal separation from God, and we believe that God has saved us through Jesus, we must feel in our hearts a compulsion to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, that they too can be spared. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor that many, many look to, he, he had a quote that I want to share with you, and he said this, He said, there are some ministers who never mention anything about hell. I heard of a minister who once said to his congregation, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be sent to that place which is which is not polite to mention. He ought not to have been allowed to preach again, I am sure, if he could not use plain words. Now, if I saw that house on fire over there, do you think I would stand and say, I believe the operation of combustion is proceeding yonder? No, I would call out, fire, fire, and then everybody would know what I meant. Listen, we don't know how many days we have on this earth. We want to be used of God because eternity is eternity. We must feel this compulsion to tell others. And you may be watching today, and and you're thinking, okay, if this is real, I need to do something about it. Well, let me tell you, Jesus has already done everything for you. It's up to you to confess your sins to God and turn and repent and come to a relationship with him. Yes, there's going to be a struggle because that old flesh wants to grab hold of you. But let me tell you, eternity does hang in the balance. And I love you enough to tell you the truth of how, who Jesus is. In 1994, Northwest Airlines came up with a, uh, a thought they thought would be a good deal. For $59, you could get what was called a mystery fare. In other words, you would go to the airport and you would, for $59, you didn't know where you were going, but you would win an opportunity to fly somewhere in the United States to another American city. And everybody was hoping for 
Orlando or New York City or Los Angeles, but there would be people getting uh, Minneapolis, not, nothing wrong with Minneapolis, but, you know, they were going to the Mall of America or something, or they would get it somewhere in Indiana or some place that they didn't think too much of, and they left frustrated because they did not get what they thought they would get for the cost. Listen, I believe that one of the worst things, it is the worst thing that anybody can do, is put their eternal destiny into a mystery fair. That you come to the end of your life and you're saying, well, I'm going to take what may, when Jesus has promised a for sure deal. Listen, hell is real. We're talking about what's after ATX. We can talk about heaven, but listen, we have to talk about the realities because Jesus talked about the realities of hell. My prayer is, is that you will turn to Jesus today and entrust him. And for you, the believers, that you will ask God to burden your heart for others that they may come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes it's hard to deliver. But Lord, you speak to us and you spoke to us in truth and you did not dodge the truth. So, Lord, I pray for everybody that is watching today. I pray for those that do not know you yet, that they will feel compelled to come to you. But, Lord, for the believers that there, they will feel a compulsion to tell others of the love of Jesus. So, Father, we place this in your hands now. In Jesus' name, amen.